My guest on the Microbound podcast today is Travis Kaiser. Kaiser is a native of Bryan, Texas, just right next door to College Station, Texas. He completed his Master's of Science in Sports Management from Texas A&M University in 2019, and he holds a Master's in Education and Curriculum in, uh, that he got in 2014. That's where I know him from. Kaiser completed his undergraduate work at Texas A&M as well with a Bachelor of Arts degree in History and Geography and a Military Studies minor. Kaiser also holds a certificate in Advanced International Affairs from the Bush School of Government and Public Service. I believe in total he taught for five years, uh, a mix of teaching and coaching before he eventually landed his current job as a D1 swim coach up in North Carolina. We'll talk about that here on the episode. But prior to his coaching career, Kaiser served as an infantry rifleman in the United States Marine Corps. He was assigned to Fox Company, 2nd Battalion, 7th Marine Regiment, 1st Marine Division in 29 Palms, California. While in service to his country, he was deployed to Al-Anbar Province, Iraq in 2007 and Helmand Province, Afghanistan in 2008. His awards include Combat Action Ribbon, 2nd Award Iraq, Afghanistan, Global War on Terrorism Service Medal, Sea Service Deployment Ribbon, second award. Above all that, he has also been one of my groomsmen in my wedding. I've considered him for a, a friend for a very long time. As you'll hear on this podcast, he uh, definitely has a sense of humor, and I hope that you enjoy getting to hear my conversation with Travis Kaiser. Travis, thanks for being on the Micah Brown podcast today. I know we've known each other quite a while. Um, it's nice to finally have this as an excuse to catch up. Uh, and I know that the hurricanes recently came through a, a few different times um, and, and blew out the power for you, but I hope everything settled back for you, huh? Yeah, it's it's been quite the experience, especially having a three-year-old and a flock of chickens in my backyard to constantly <laughs> making sure that they're everybody's okay and being taken care of but you know it could always be worse <laughs> do you have names for the chickens um i've let other people name them but i don't remember what they are other than <laughs> his name is ronald and then um it's good he's just the one that i that one the girl i've had her the longest um you know she survived my dog attacking them and then another dog attacking them and you know uh it's it's is it is it like a, a twisted thing to call a chicken ronald like it's going to end up at mcdonald's one day is that because <laughs> i feel like that's your sense of humor i'm just wondering if that's where that came from no no it was just one of the swimmers named it ronald and i was like okay i can remember that long enough and uh you know i, I mean they're all gonna lay eggs i'm not gonna eat them um they're just yeah. egg layers and yeah it's i check on them all the time my wife kind of doesn't like it that I'm always like every once in a while jumping, <laughs> jumping out of the house to go see what the chickens are doing. Um, but Goodness. <laughs> I never pinned you for a, a chicken keeper. I feel like, I feel like Von Miller would be interested in that. He, he's got like a farm or something now, but geez, my brother has chickens. Uh, I don't know that we could ever own chickens cause three out of four of our dogs would murder them before they even like survived a day. Right, right. I mean, you just got to have a, a pen for them, and that's about it. I mean, they, they're pretty easy once you, they get their feathers and stuff. You just feed them and make sure that they have a place to sleep at night. And 
Sounds like a child. No, I'm just kidding. It does. It does. <laughs> you know? And then I've got the I've got four guineas that are they're like our watchdogs and our, our um they eat all, all the bugs and stuff, but they make so much dang noise. Um, anytime yeah. I step outside, they're they're up in the trees cackling and, and making all sorts of, of a ruckus. But that's what I, I got them for. I, I feel like the only thing worse than a, a guinea that's still like in the same realm is a peacock because when yeah. they get going they sound like a squealing child <laughs> like like a cat and a child mixed making the loudest noise possible right yeah Goodness. no thanks <laughs> yeah no don't need that in my life no. um well none of that is what we got on here to talk about but <laughs> probably more entertaining in some capacity than what we might talk about today <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll stick with my four dogs for now. I told Elizabeth one of these days when we like go to retire, I want a herd of corgis with all like human names. <laughs> I think all of them running around with their little fluffy butts would be just entertaining enough. Be like, what are you yeah. doing today? Oh, I'm just watching the flock, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all those corgis. <laughs> yeah. There goes Benedict. I'm sorry. Yeah. What? Well, yeah, we call him Ben. It's fine. All right, man. Well, let's let's jump in. For the people that don't know uh, anything about you, I don't want to spoil a whole lot other than what I've already said in the introduction, but want you to have the opportunity to just share your background, where you grew up, and then kind of, you know, hitting some some high points up until now when you're sitting in your, your room here in North Carolina. Yeah. Um, so I was born and raised in, in Bryan, Texas, which is right next to College Station. Um, you know, I was raised in a single, a single parent household. My, my parents were, both my parents were still involved in my life, but I lived with my dad. And, um, you know, I, I went to high school, like all good kids do. And I got good grades and then I decided, Hey, I'm going to go to A&M because that's what was expected of me. Both my parents went Naturally. to A&M. And it's right next door. So, and it's right next door. I mean, it is what it is, but uh, I went for one year and I was not invested in learning at college. It was just something new. I, I, I even am surprised that it was 2004 and I didn't even know how to do email or what the internet was like. Um, I mean, you had to have a computer on campus and I didn't know how to use that stuff other than for, you know, playing Oregon trail or writing up uh, something on, on word. And so, that was a huge adjustment, but then like maturity wise, I was not uh, ready for being on my own and not really having somebody like checking in on me and, and making sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I'm, I do far better in a structured environment, which definitely wasn't my freshman year. So, you know, <laughs> slept through a final, didn't pass all of my, all of my classes, you know, it was terrible. It was, it was really terrible. And so my parents were like, we're not going to pay for college anymore. So you've got to figure something out. And that morning I went and it was June 6th. I went in to the recruiting office at Post Oak Mall and I um, signed up for the Marine Corps. And, you know, then, um, you know, I was expecting to go to the Marines in November. Um, but I got a phone call like beginning of August and they were like, are you ready to go? I'm like, yeah. It's like, can you leave now? Okay. And so I <laughs> told real complicated conversation right there. <laughs> yeah. It was like, I told my parents and, and they're like, 
oh, okay. And I was like, I'm leaving tomorrow at 8 a.m. Like from the, from the post, from the, the mail, I'm in mean, the mall. And, um, you know, the rest was driving to Houston, got on a plane, flew to San Diego, went through boot camp. And, you know, after that, I went to infantry school up at Camp Pendleton. I was there for quite a while, um, you know, due to like injuries and, and pickups and stuff. And um, then I went to my duty station, which was in 29 Palms, California, which is like a desert town. Um, and I was there for, for three years. And Isn't, isn't that usually referred to as like the 29 Palms Resort as like a joke? Yeah. Now, 29 stumps. Stumps. It, it's <laughs> terrible there. It's, I mean, it's a great place looking back. I'm glad I went there. I mean, the other options are Hawaii or, you know, right next to San Diego, California, for uh, what they call Hollywood Marines. But, you know, everybody has to come to 29 Palms. Um, every Marine unit has to before they deploy. So, you know, I'm glad I was there. But man, it was, that's a terrible place. It's just, it's four hours from Vegas, four hours from LA and San Diego. There's nothing to do, but Marines to, you know, spend their $700 every two weeks on alcohol and, and video games and movies. So, you know, I'm sure that's all you spend it on. I'm sure that's (laughs) it. (laughs) Just those three things. We'll just keep it to those three things. I I really didn't ever spend money on alcohol on the Marines. I, I got made fun of one time cause I bought a bottle of hypnotic from the liquor store <laughs> and I drank it all by myself. And they were like, Oh, you, they called it destiny or some weird name. They, they gave me like that nickname for a little bit and made fun of me, but I drank that time. And then, you know, when we came back from a deployment, we drank on the, on the, at the airport in Ireland but I drank probably two weeks before I got out of the Marines and got really um, intoxicated. But, you know, other than that, I spent my money on video games and food or movies. Um, so things haven't changed. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. But yeah. Um, and during that time that I was there, we deployed to Iraq in 2007. I was there for seven months and then we went to afghanistan about six months later and we were there for eight months um, so, so then after after those deployments got out um went right back to school at texas a&m and then that's where you and i met um cross paths yeah yeah i think it was my senior year 2013 or maybe it was in the i in think the it was, program yeah right i think at, it was that summer uh, the first summer of the master's program. Yeah, that cakewalk. <laughs> I, yeah, that, I remember making Play-Doh, and I was like, I can't believe somebody is paying to make Play-Doh animals for Dr. Kelly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I remember he would come around, and anytime he'd come around us, he'd put his hand on me, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah because <laughs> he I, i'm sure he was like worried about you and that was his like freudian slip of like trying to control you and reel you in a little <laughs> bit and he, he even told me later um that he was like you know mike i was i was worried a little bit about you i'm not gonna lie i i wasn't sure how you would turn out but you did all right i'm proud of you and i'm like <laughs> what can, 
can we rewind for a second? Why? What gave you that impression? And then I was like, well, it's probably because we were jacking around playing with Play-Doh. I mean, but they, when you're doing a master's of education, like it's it's not just going to be for high school teachers. It's going to be the whole gambit, right? So yeah. I, I kind of understood that. But at the same time, I was like, shouldn't we be talking about like theory or something or like strategies, not just this? I mean, what's next? Balloon animals? Yeah. I remember being worried more about lesson plans, like how to write lesson plans. And then when I got to the actual teaching, it was just copy paste and you just had to make sure you had your, uh, I can, I will statement at up on the board. That was almost more yeah. important than, a than a freaking lesson plan. But yeah, dog and pony show is much more important <laughs> than teaching. I know. I know. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Man, that's, I, I I'd want to go on a rabbit trail so bad, but I'm not going to. So you, <laughs> you taught, we went through grad school together um, and then you started teaching where, like, I know with, for those that don't understand, uh, the program that we were in, we did a very, uh, potent summer schedule. And then that fall we jumped right into teaching like full-time teaching. There's, there's no, <laughs> it's not like half teaching and half not your full-time teaching and still doing two extra quote courses where you have to turn in things, you have to go back. I think it's like once or twice a semester, uh, which for you, because you were in Bryan, uh, was a little bit easier than me driving from Austin, other people from Dallas and that sort of thing. But uh, you then graduate the following end of the summer. And so where did you go teach? And then kind of what what happened from there till now? Yeah, I went and taught in this little town near Tyler, called Jacksonville um you know I forgot about that that's right you went they were they were the only ones that really showed any interest in me you know and I was like what the heck if I don't like this then I don't have to do it again I can find something else but you know I I found joy in doing that but I was not gonna be doing well with making twelve hundred dollars a month from that job and so I was also bartending at night um, on the weekends, but I got a job uh, back at my my alma mater high school um, within like, I would just say that that May I already had a job lined up to come back to Bryan and teach. So that's what I did. I taught at Bryan for another four years, um, really got involved in, in coaching. I was volunteer assistant coaching for Texas A&M and their men's team for two years while I was teaching. And then I did one year just volunteer assisting. And um, now I'm in my second year of, of swim coach um, at Gardner Webb university. I'm one of the assistant swim coaches um, for a private Christian university. It's division one up, up here in the, the upstate, I guess is what they call it. Upstate for a state that fits inside of Texas that we're all used to. <laughs> right. I mean, when, when people start talking about towns and stuff, I'm like, I don't know where that's at. I, oh, okay. Cool. You live in Boone, North Carolina. I don't know. <laughs> that means nothing to me. It doesn't. When somebody's like, oh, yeah, I'm from, I'm from Panhandle, Texas, I, I know where that's at. Or yep. Alpine or, 
you know, Dime Box, it. Texas. Yeah, Dime Box. Yeah, <laughs> <Even Lukenbach. laughs> so, everybody's somebody in Lukenbach. That's true. I mean, the thing at Texas is like eight hours to get out of the state, but here in North Carolina, it's fifteen minutes to get to South Carolina, and then I can get to Tennessee in an hour and a half. And you know, there's driving around here is a little bit different when it says 40 miles per hour. I mean, when it says 40 miles to your destination, it's going to take you 40 miles. Whereas in Texas, it's like, Oh, it's going to be 40 minutes to get there. Well, hold my beer, watch this. And you know, yep. I'm just going to try to beat that because it's relatively flat and it's good flat and straight. It. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and you mentioned earlier when we were talking um, something about Asheville and that's where we spent our first, anniversary trip and it's all windy hills over there so and i know even for elizabeth's dad up in um uh jack daniels where's jack daniels made tennessee well yeah tennessee but i'm blanking on the name of the city where it's made goodness anyway he lives 10 miles from i'm i am <laughs> it's not yeah, Oklahoma. Yeah. Lynchburg, Lynchburg, Tennessee. Goodness gracious. That was going to bother me so bad. Anyway, he lives 10 miles from Lynchburg, but it takes like 25 minutes to get there because you're going on all these back roads and through the mountains and stuff, and everything's 15, 25 miles an hour. And in Texas, like people think something's wrong with you if you're going 25 miles an hour. Either that or it's a school zone. Those are the right. two options. And and like when they call something a highway here, it's a it's a two lane, both ways road. And I'm like, this is not a highway. Like, yeah, no. I mean, and I'll never complain about Highway Six ever again. You know, I mean, <laughs> it, Highway Six is terrible. It runs both ways, but I can still drive relatively easy there. Whereas here, I might get stuck behind a tractor or some old person or you know you know, people with messed up trucks and cars and I'll be behind them for a good 30 minutes. But yeah, Asheville's like 45 minutes away. And I went up there my first time that last week when we had our power go out. It's a really nice area. It reminds me a lot of Austin, but it's more yep. like kind of a, if Austin and a ski town were, were kind of mixed because it, it just yep. has that cabin uh, mountain resort town feel to it. And also the hippies and, and stuff like that are prevalent there just like they are in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> not not as much in Austin anymore. I feel like Austin's weird phase is uh, phasing out. But yeah. um, I told Elizabeth once <clears throat> that if Nashville is kind of the, the big sister city to Austin, I feel like Asheville is like the little sister city to Austin. It's like a micro version. Nashville is just a larger city square mileage everything it's just a bigger city but Asheville is is definitely and it's got like the microbreweries and stuff too so you get that vibe from it uh food trucks good restaurants that sort of thing so I agree with you yeah well yeah. man um for some of your background would love to know kind of like what's happening with the family and stuff um you've been married how long now mm. Putting you on the spot. What's your anniversary? <laughs> well, my anniversary is you March. Know your wife's 15th. name? <laughs> oh, I know her. I know her name. But last night we got in a we got in a fight. Um, speaking of that, we got in a fight because we've been married for two years, and she was reading a book, and I was too. That's kind of how we wind down at night. And 
you know, I'm finishing up, about to lay my head down, and she's like, she turns over and goes, hey, will you hand me a bookmark? And I was like, mm-mm, we've been married for two years, and you still don't know my name is Travis. <laughs> so, yeah, you can you can tweet that one, but Good dad joke, good dad joke. You can have that one. Uh, that's the um, kind of what? stuff that happens in, in our family. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. I, I told Elizabeth that, you know, here we are f- five plus years of marriage and the things we most argue about are some of the dumbest things. And we know full well, they're stupid things or they're like obviously jokes, but yet we, you know, perpetuate it and keep it going. Yeah. So yeah, we, we were married. We were married for two years. We got married over spring break in New York city um, at, uh, at the gap style bridge, it was snowing, um, March, it was either March 13th or 14th. I'm pretty sure it's the 14th. Um, nice, <laughs> but, but that was a, that was a great time. I mean, yeah, we have, uh, we have a beautiful little daughter, um, Quinn, um, she's three years old and every bit of three nager as you, you can expect. Yep. And then we've got, uh, another one cooking, in the stove and um <laughs> that one will be here hopefully in march um and it's another girl um and and her name will be um wesley green is that i know names mean a lot to you and you've uh you've usually you've in the past named your kid after somebody that you know is that has that played a role in the names of your daughters or no um quinn was more of my wife's choice and then i i kind of went along with it because it was a girl and i didn't really have any like inclination of what a name would do for a for a young lady um and then with with wesley quinn i mean shana has always really liked the name wesley um if we were going to have a boy it would have been maybe wesley um but i i gave Wesley, the the middle name Green after Green, Texas, because um, I really have a soft spot for the hill country, and you know wanted to have some little bit of Texas in her, um, you know, because she wasn't born in Texas and she won't be born in Texas. So, you know, I wanted to kind of put her on a level playing field with Quinn, who was born in Texas. <laughs> you know. Green is all of like ten minutes from my parents' house, so I'm very familiar with that that spot. Yeah, that's a that's a great place. For those that don't know about Green, it's spelled like Gruen. It's <laughs> it's G R U E N E, and that's oh. Texas for you. It's kind of like Bowern, Texas. No, it's pronounced Bernie. Bernie, get it right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'd love to jump into the first uh, real, like, intensive question that I, I always love this because even for people that I've known, like yourself. Sometimes this offers a little more insight and uh, I get to know people a little bit more um, just by this one question. And the whole point of my podcast is to have authentic conversations. So I'm going to ask you and then you get to offer as many or as few examples as you'd like um, okay. and as much detail as you want. That could be very little. could be a lot. What <clears throat> obstacles or events in your life have most shaped your character or who you are as a person and how so obstacles or events and how yeah man that's a great question um i i would say that first and foremost it would be my time in the military um 
you know, being a Marine definitely changed who I was. I wouldn't be who I am today and have the same kind of outlook on life if I wasn't in the military. Um, and just being a Marine is just something like special. It's just, you know, you're a part of an elite fighting force that has a storied history. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like being an Aggie once a, once an Aggie, always an Aggie. And, you know, everybody knows, what you've been through as a Marine, if they were a Marine as well. Um, and definitely being deployed um, to combat zones and seeing action in both places definitely shaped life for me. I mean, it did bring in a lot of stress, um, but then, you know, it, that, that stress was something that I had to learn to deal with. And then, of course, you know, another great example would be the birth of my son, uh, Cameron Barrett. Uh, Kaiser, who um, he doesn't live with us. He lives with his mom over in um, in New Braunfels, um, and, and he has a great great life over there. And you know, I get to see him every once in a while. It's a lot harder that he, I'm in North Carolina, but you know, the birth of him and then definitely the birth of Quinn like changed my life, um, and all all for the better. Um, yeah, so I mean, when when it comes to the kids, it just gives you something to look forward to and to to be excited about you know i it's it's kind of weird for me to say this as a 34 year old but it's like it's sad knowing that when quinn is 18 i'll be almost 50 and like that's half my life is is gone when when she's barely coming to hers and i want to be a part of all of it so it's it's making me think about how involved I am with her and with my wife and how that needs to always be forefront in my mind, like um, spending quality time, not, not just sitting on the TV and watching a movie or letting her play on her, on her iPad, but actually like, you know, like this morning laying in bed with her and she just wrestled around and I, you know, tickled her and, you know, we'd play hide and go seek. I mean, we didn't leave the bed for about an hour. So, you know, things like that, the little things are, are what really matters. Um, and I've, I think a lot of that comes from my military service where, you know, being, being on deployments, you know that, well, you know, more so in those situations than just in everyday life that, you know, things can drastically change for you and those around you within seconds. And, you know, that, that kind of mindset is always in the back of my head. Um, you know, I, I, I make it a point to try to tell my daughter I love her as much as I can because I could walk out of this room right now or, you know, heck, a, a meteor could fall on us as we're speaking and that's it. You know, it's <laughs> I, all she's left with yeah. is memory. So, um, or a random yeah. tree branch could just drop through your house, which has happened to people. It's yeah. like the weirdest freak of nature thing. Sunny day outside, tree branch falls through your house. Yep. And when it, when it's over, it's over. There ain't no there ain't no respawn or self revive kit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little uh, gaming joke there for you folks listening that have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I can't sit there and be crawling towards my wife saying, "Help me, help me! Don't yeah. let me lose my loot." <laughs> <laughs> You better not take my money if I die. <laughs> Don't take my money. <laughs> Man, but I uh, just that to, your question. Yeah, it does. And, and as a dad, um, 
of of two girls, what you're saying definitely is true. I feel like there's very little in life that can actually fundamentally change you. And there's a, in my opinion, there's a difference between grow, grow you and change you. I feel like you can grow as a person and you kind of evolve over time. And some would say like, that's changing. I think there are very few things that can fundamentally change your character and like your core identity. I yeah. think being a parent is one of those things. I agree. Um, I, I think that, it's so much this this is a very light example in comparison but if anybody's ever not had a dog and then you suddenly have a dog and you get used to this mentality in the back of your mind like okay i've been gone from the house for six hours i need to go home and let this dog out that that like second nature kind of thing of this awareness of like i'm taking care of some other entity in my life is a whole new level where like literally the time you spend away from home will like magnify. You're like, I need to get home. I haven't seen my kid. I almost quit a job because I didn't see Charlotte for two days. Almost. I think it was almost three days straight. Not because I wasn't home, but because I would leave before she was awake and I would get home after she was asleep. And I was like, I will quit this job so fast if this ever happens again. Yeah. Um, And it, it just affects like, there there used to be times when I was younger and I was like, dude, if this guy wants to fight, like we'll fight. And now I'm like, it's not worth it. Cause if something goes sideways, like what's my kid going to do? Like, I know my wife is very strong, but we're a team. Yeah. So it, and there's, there's another part of it that I, Elizabeth has pointed this out. She said, you know, you've always been a, a kind person, but you've become much more patient since we've had a little yeah. girl. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. <laughs> I used to be uh, pretty like, uh, can we get this show on the road? Like what's going on here? Let's hurry this up. And I'm so thankful that I had a girl first be- and I wanted a girl first because I knew that if we had a boy first, I was going to be way too hard on him and be like, you're not walking yet. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Like, let's get going. Come on. We got places to go stand up. And now Lily is, <laughs> she's like, Nope, you can carry me places. I'll walk with my walker. I don't need to walk. And she's, um, about to be 16 months old and we're just like girl let's go and she's like nah i'm good and i'm like you know what fine i'll be on the ground with you it's cool um so yeah just very different perspective and and i i think all the girl dads out there listening are like yep 100 percent yeah so we've talked about having a third and i was like you know i think i'm ready for a boy let's let's mix this up a little bit and get a, get a boy in this mix there's only so much you can do i know and I, i'm like i'm speaking it into existence i'm telling god now like we're getting a boy like i know you're not supposed to tell god what to do but i'm telling him like we need a boy in this house i'm feeling <laughs> alone you what you need <laughs> he need yeah he hears my cries okay yeah. So yeah, in in the same way he knew that you and I needed some little baby girls in our lives. I, I feel like he hears me now. And, yeah. Okay, God. I mean, we, if my twenty-one-year-old marine self would hear hear you know my fortune being told that I was going to have two daughters. Uh, <laughs> nah. You might have started drinking a little bit more. <laughs> Just, oh, yeah. I, I'm not handling this. <laughs> They're going to get payback on on how I was as a as a young man, <laughs> but. Yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm very happy, and and they they become more like your best friend because um, I spend all my time with them. It's like when people yeah. talk about, oh yeah, I went out and uh, went hunting today or went fishing. I'm like, how do you do that? You have kids. Like, how does your wife let you do that? You know, I mean, 
I definitely think that there's a like a time to recharge for yourself. You know, like I, M- Elizabeth and I always talk about how we want to be a hundred percent for each other, and we realize fully that that's not going to happen all the time. Like yeah. it just functionally can't happen. Um, but as much as we can give each other space to be a hundred percent, cause we know we'll be better off for it and like be more patient with the girls. And if we're not, especially when we were just out of our house for three months, like we were both very stressed out. And right. so giving each other that space sometimes looks different for me. It's just playing video games at night, decompress three nights out of the week are, are set aside for Elizabeth. Like that's she and I spend time together. The other nights we get to decide what we want with that time. But I I'm with you, man. Like I want to go hang out with my kids. I personally don't get capped out with time with my kids. Um, I get capped out when Lily starts screaming for no reason that that gets under my skin because my ears are bleeding, but um, <laughs> that's, that's about, I don't, I don't get worn out from her wanting to crawl all over me or like she takes her head and tries to, I guess she's trying to hug me or something, but she'll just butt me with her head and then like rubber head. It's as if somebody's doing the old like noogie with the knuckle and she's rubbing it on my head. I'm like, this actually hurts. And you're a tiny little baby. Like what? Yeah. And she's just ah, rubbing wow. her head on me. And I'm like, I love you, but this is painful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, man. Um, I, I know that everybody has their own story, right? And everybody has their own experiences and, um, people meet me and I've literally been told like, I used to think you were really full of yourself and like really arrogant and thought you, you were it. But then I got to know you and you're actually a really nice guy. And I'm like, let's back up. Like what made you think that? Uh, and in the same way, I know that you come across as a very serious person um, just because of your demeanor. And I've learned that's not the case. Uh, I feel like, a 10 out of 10 times if you could prefer to crack a joke at somebody uh or you know make a joke about your name not being mark then that's going to be your your go-to so i always like to know what what's behind the the persona that we see whether that's even your swimmers in coaching uh they may not know your full story uh or other people that just walk past you um in any given spot yeah i mean um I've done a lot of work on how I try to convey myself. I, I do know that I come across as intimidating. Um, that's not my, my intention, but when I'm in areas where I don't know anybody, um, I'm, I'm immediately going to have a guard up because I don't trust anybody around me. And I'm just, I'm trying to get the feelers for the room. Um, you know, but what, what I, what you said is basically how I am with my swimmers. It's, you know, I, I like to think of them as their as their parent or their bigger brother, and just trying to enjoy the time together. Um, yeah, when it, they know when it's serious, if I have to raise my voice, and that's only happened now like twice on in two years, and and they and I like that. I I like that. Um, you know, if I did raise my voice or if I had to yell at somebody, they would know it's real because I don't do it all the time they would see it as completely different. Whereas when, you know, heck I was a teacher, man, it was, <laughs> I, I mean, teaching inner city freshmen in high school is, is very tough. Um, especially when they don't want to be there and, and you know, it's, yep. you're trying really hard, but you're also not um, taking a step back and leaving your ego at the door as well. So, I mean, it's, 
you know, it took me time going to a counselor and talking about, you know, issues that I have and getting the help I needed to uh, actually become more of an enjoyable person to be around. Um, You know, but then on the flip side, it's when I do tell jokes all the time, I wonder if people take me seriously. Um, And that's, that's kind of like, I got to find that middle ground of, okay, is somebody really going to listen to me and let me speak or have uh, some, let my opinion be heard or they just kind of think I'm just going to say something stupid or, or be silly and not be, and not serious about the situation. Um, And so they're, they're not likely to ask my opinion. And I mean, that's something I'm just going to have to deal with and work with and find that happy, happy median. But um, I mean, I, I enjoy what I'm doing and I enjoy how I am. I feel like some of what you just said, you're, you know, are people going to take me seriously? I think that a lot of that has to do with the other person also. And yeah, you do have some control over that. Like if you're literally only ever joking around and being sarcastic, well then why wouldn't they assume that you're just going to keep being sarcastic? But I feel like an adult who's mature would be able to tell usually if somebody's being serious or not, you know, um, you and I both can crack a joke and be completely straight faced and actually leave people wondering if we were being serious or not. But <clears throat> I feel like for the most part, usually the context gives it all away. You yeah. said some, you mentioned having gone to counseling and this is something that I've talked to a, a number of people about um, because I feel like men more so than women feel like they don't need counseling or feel like they're not, you know, for lack of a better term, defective enough to require counseling and I, I'm going to say something that I believe, and then you let me know your thoughts on it. Uh, I feel like counseling is something that if you've not ever been, you, you think like, Oh, I don't need that. Like that's definitely great for other people, that sort of thing. But then once you go, you're like, literally everybody should go to counseling at some point in your life sooner, the better. Yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree. Um, I would take it a step further and just, you know, say that everybody needs to be to the point in their life with their own self and be comfortable in themselves to just go and talk to somebody about what's going on, because that's all that counseling is. I mean, the counselor is somebody that doesn't know you from Adam, who is impartial. You know, when, when that door opens there, they've got your attention. And when that door closes, they are, focused on somebody else and doing something for others. Um, and, and as men, it's, it is tough. I, I think that we'll get better as generations go and you know, how people are treating each other, I think will get better. Um, but honestly, just something that I've learned from being married is that people just need somebody to listen to. Like my wife doesn't want me to fix all the problems. She just wants me to, she just needs somebody to listen to. And, and sometimes she does that for me. I can vent to her about things and I know that there's not going to be a solution. That problem is still going to be yeah. there. I, I agree. Everybody needs to go to counseling, but also everybody needs to just be able to swallow their pride and talk to somebody. And if that person doesn't yeah. care what you have to say, then they really weren't somebody that you should have been associating with, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think that as you get older, it becomes easier to do that with your parents. Not always like 
I would say that's something you just start doing at Thanksgiving and being like, Hey, remember when you did this? I didn't like that, you know, but you can find, no, that's ideal. That's what you should definitely do at Thanksgiving (laughs) is you should bring up the past as often as possible and as great of detail as possible. (laughs) The more people that are present, the better. Exactly. And yeah. live stream it. You've got yeah. to do Facebook live <laughs> and put it on TikTok and just let, let the world in, you know? Yep. Um, I mean, once people just start talking about what bothers them and you know, what, um, what they're passionate about, I think you're going to see a lot of people become more mentally stable. Uh, that's one thing that I've definitely been working on a lot with the swimmers that I have is, um, you know, we're, we're focusing a little bit more on the mental side of this because, you know, like right now we we're going through COVID as a, as a team. And it's like, so when, if one person gets it, they have like four or five other people that have to go into quarantine. And so that's, that's time for two weeks that they're just by themselves and they don't have anybody around. And so it's important for them to keep into perspective that it's a good time to work on themselves um, and also to talk to other people because, you know, you're not going to be face to face. So it's easier to say things to each other over the phone or in a text message and you know, get your point across, um, you know, and, and, and mental health is, is huge. Um, you know, as a, as a, as a veteran, it's just something that I constantly keep hearing about is veteran health, veteran health. It's just like, what about, what about everybody's mental health? everybody yeah. right now has problems everybody does there's no difference in in me being a veteran as opposed to somebody who's who is grown up in an alcoholic household you know we both have ptsd we both have things that set us off and upset us and give us you know what they call flashbacks i think it's just being able to reconcile with your problems and, and express those in a healthy way you know it's it just feels better. That's why venting feels so good is because when you're done with it, you've, you've gotten everything off your chest and you're ready to go. You know, you're ready to accept the next challenge. So, you know, long, long winded rant there about. No, uh, I, I, it may be long winded, but I think it's valuable because, um, yeah. and I, and I know that again, I, I sent you an outline, but this is supposed to be a conversation and I, I like the the route this is kind of going because <clears throat> I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I've told plenty of my friends um, a few weeks back. It's probably close to a month, month and a half ago now. I I kind of hit this tipping point where I could feel I, like I was going to snap and not in a healthy way, not in a good way. Uh, I don't know if you knew this. I had been dealing with some foot pain, like some serious foot pain. Couldn't walk on it, couldn't stand on it for ended up being eight weeks. So two months straight, but yeah. I was supposed to be on full dad duty while Elizabeth was working and I couldn't do that. I kept like hitting the dogs with my scooter unintentionally kept running over toys, nearly running over Lily a few times that was driving me up a wall. Charlotte was like at the peak of being a three major and just whining about everything. And I was losing my mind. I was so tired of being in that house, uh, the Airbnb. And I just, cause it wasn't my home. And I told Elizabeth, I said, I need you to hear me crystal clear. Number one, I'm not mad at you. Like there's nothing that you've done to upset me. Let's make that perfectly clear. But number two, I need to get out of this house. I'm, I'm such a, I do such a terrible job of self-advocating. Like when I really, really need stuff, 
Um, I, I was raised like you sacrifice yourself for the sake of your family, no matter what. And then I started realizing if I'm at like zero, as far as my internal battery is concerned, I'm not helping anybody. No. Uh, and so I told Elizabeth, I said, you know, it would really help me right now. I need to get out of this house for one night away by myself. I don't really have a preference where to go. I'd probably just stay at a hotel nearby. Like just need to get out of this house, clear my head, unwind a little bit, and then I'll, I'll come back and I'll be good. And she's like, done. I'll, I'll even make the uh, arrangement for you. So I stayed at a, a hotel that's like Calvary Court and College Station. Uh, it's like no, the sister no. one in, in Austin at the domain. And I can say if anybody's listening to this and you feel like you're at your wits end, just say something. I I would contend that if you're married, especially your spouse wants you to be in a better mood if you've been grumpy and all like pent up and stuff. And it may not be that you need a night away, but that's what I needed. And, um, I think that the more that people are honest with their spouses, I think that that fosters trust and relationship, trust in the the love that you have for each other. Yeah. Just saying like, hey, I'm trying to be vulnerable with you right now. I'm not in a good place. So if you've been feeling like I'm I'm being weird towards you, it's because I am. And here's why. It, and that's why I, I prefaced the whole thing. I said like, I need you to hear me crystal clear. It has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Yes, I am very pissed off. Yes, I'm very angry. I am I am not in a good place. Zero percent has to do with you. And I'm sorry yeah. if any of it's come out at you. So I, I'm I'm glad that we're talking about this because I, I feel like in the past it the idea of like the super macho masculine man is like you keep it all to yourself and you you deal with your own stuff. And I, I do think there's definitely a dichotomy of like you should talk about something versus you you just need to swallow that and deal with it, you know? Um, but it's cool to hear somebody who I know your background, it, like a former Marine, just naturally, if you're a Marine, you're tough. That's just how that goes to hear that. You're like, no, go to counseling. Like everybody needs to do that. Swallow your pride and freaking build a bridge, get over it and start sorting out stuff. Um, I think is, is a really great encouragement. Speaking of that, I wanted to know what, what motivated you to join specifically the Marines? Was there even like a choice where you're just like, uh, Marines sound cool. Like how did that happen? <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, you know, I thought I was going to go into the army. I'm in high school. I was like, Oh man, maybe I'll do this. Like go to be a Ranger or whatnot. And then I would, I remember making fun of the Marine recruiter that he wasn't the guy that recruited me. He was somebody else. He was all tattooed, walked around. He did look like a, a bulldog. You know, he's, leaning forward, really gruff voice. I remember making fun of that. But then when it came time for me to choose, I was like, dang, those uniforms look really good. And I don't want to just be another number and live in Texas again. Like, I mean, cause in the army, there's a huge chance that you'll go back to Fort hood after training. And I yep. was like, nah, I want to see, see. And we're hearing that's a really great place lately. All military bases are terrible. Fort hood is <laughs> Fort Hood is not really. I mean, come on, they're an hour and a half from Austin, if that. How much? No, I'm. I'm just they, saying, like the the people disappearing and like finding out stuff that's been happening at the the Fort Hood. I'm like, and not to mention the shooting that happened near you years ago from the guy yep. that spun up. I'm like, if there's one place I would not want to be, it'd be Fort Hood. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather be at Fort Hood than I would have been at. at at 29 Palms just because there would be more stuff to do, but I also wouldn't <laughs> develop the relationships I have. I mean, 
it's it's hard to get in trouble on twenty nine palms with with uh with females because there's not many there and the ones that are either Marines or they're married to Marines. So you, if you get in trouble, it's because you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing, but you're not going to go out in town and meet a girl. You know, it's just not going to happen. And I wouldn't recommend it. Even if you've tried, you know, it's, um, so, I mean, if you have Fort Hood is, was not a place I wanted to be. And this was in 2005. So, um, you know, the Marines just had that, that mythology behind them and they do a really good job of getting kids to think about putting others before them and doing something special that others aren't doing because like I said you know you go into the army and you're just another name another number um and and it's not a knock against army people but okay you go in the army infantry that's great but there's always rangers and then there's you know special forces and then there's airborne and then there's this that and the other it's like that's all a bunch of confusing crap about who's better than who. Whereas in the Marines, it's like, okay, you're either an infantry guy or you're not. And, you know, there's no wiggle room. It's it's like, okay, yeah, there are still people that are like recon and, and MARSOC and stuff like that, but those are really small in number. And it's, it's not something that, uh, you know, a lot of people really get into. Whereas you can be a scout sniper within a Marine Corps battalion when you get to the fleet, you know? So, I mean, it's, this is that rugged uh, toughness that really is attractive for especially white middle-class boys. Um, you know, that sense of adventure and, and it really was attractive to me. So, you know, I, I like to say, like to think that I got as much adventure out of it as I could and learned a lot and had fun, but uh, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. That's awesome. I've, the the majority of what I know about Marines um, as as a collective is from the Jocko podcast. Yep. Casual shout out, uh, <laughs> and the amount of respect he has as a like former SEAL commander for the Marines as a whole, I think speaks volumes about Marines. You know that it's kind of like what you were saying. Like you can go into the Army, and then there's all these other tiers that you could go to, and it's not like one is necessarily above the other. It's just kind of like a, a left, right, center option, you know? Yeah. And with the Marines, the way that he's kind of explained it and the way I translate it is that, yeah, there's the Navy SEALs or the Army Rangers, but if you're looking for a full, like, arm of the military that is lethal, both the mentality and in action, the Marines are it. Right, yeah. And, and he's he and other... Uh, I think it's Dave Burke from the Air Force both have commented on how like Marines are pretty uniform. Like if you get one Marine and then you, you go find five others, they're all going to behave about the same. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, you get us in a group and we're lethal, you know, whether we're in a mission or we're just at a, at a restaurant, you know, <laughs> restaurant. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, with and Jocko, Jocko's also in that same boat when I was talking about the Ranger Army, whatever not, because you know he is the, the Navy SEALs are the really the most badass job to have in the Navy, and I'm sure like fighter pilots or submarine people, those are cool driving a boat, whatever. But like, there's nothing but you in the Navy as a SEAL. Yeah. I mean, 
you hopefully only interact with other people in the Navy. I mean, that's just my thoughts on it. Whereas in the Marines, it's like, you know, you're either infantry or you're not, like I already said. And, you know, any infantry guy is going to have each other's back, uh, you know, to some extent, um, if there's any conflict. So, um, it's definitely a camaraderie that's, that's, I haven't seen it elsewhere. Um, and, and I'm, I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Even, um, cause you said that the seals are like the only group within the Navy, you know, that is specialized to that degree. And, uh, it was Leif Babin on one of the more recent episodes. He's talking with Jocko and, uh, He's like, you know, I really took a gamble. I, I chose to not go to West Point where like, even if I don't make it as like an army ranger, there's plenty of other options. He's like, I went to the Navy and I gave it one shot. And I think he actually didn't make it as a SEAL his first try. And he, mm-hmm. he came back around and tried again. Um, and so if I'm remembering that right, I may have that wrong. And Leif, I apologize. You're a fellow Austinite. And I don't want to <laughs> upset you. But anyway, uh, so yeah, that's well, like, well, like they say, you know, um, you know, people, people ask me, Oh yeah, you're in the Marines. That's part of the Navy. And I'm like, no, no, no. We're the men's department. False. Yeah. Men's de- <laughs> we are the men's department of the Navy. Uh, <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Long time ago, we actually uh, segregated ourselves from the Navy to make sure people understood. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. Tell us about your first deployment. How did you feel like prepping for heading overseas i know you said you like randomly get the call and you're t- today like we're leaving out today what, what are we doing and then you went to basic training but how did it feel mentally physically everything prepping to go to overseas and then like how was it those first few months you were i think you said you were in iraq first and then afghanistan yeah so how, how um, was that? yeah we were in iraq first i mean that was still during the surge we left in january January, February of 2007. Um, but we had a lot of time to get ready for it. Um, I like to think of it as, you know, you, you go to, you're playing high school football and you're an incoming freshman, but you start practicing for the football games in the fall, in the spring. So you know, you're going to spend a lot of time training. You're going to spend a lot of time with people that, have already played those games and you have to listen to them. And so you, you, there's a lot of hype for that, um, that deployment, that football game. Um, and, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of nerves involved. And I mean, I, that's, that's kind of how our workup was. And that's what we called as a workup of, you know, the unit came back from Iraq in 2006, um, you know, and that's when we got to the fleet so they drop us off on a bus um, from School of Infantry. They drove us out there to 29 Palms, you know, and they drop you off and, you know, you're introduced to your unit and you've got, here's your, here's your team leader, here's your squad leader, uh, go get your equipment. And then you, you know, start settling in and then you've got a training cycle that has to happen. So you'll have, you know, like we have to hit this many requirements before we're able to deploy and then we have like a big culmination FTX or field training exercise that you have to pass as a, as a battalion in order for the Marine Corps to say, Hey, you're ready to deploy. So, you know, a lot of that is as a, as a new guy or what they call the boot or an FNG or whatnot. Um, you are, 
you're just trying to soak up as much as you can. And, you know, it was, it was tough. I had great leaders that, you know, at the time I might not have liked them, but I'm glad they did what they did. You know, they honestly just wanted the best for each and every Marine. But if you sucked at your job, they were going to let you know, and you were going to have to figure it out. And, you know, there was a lot of guys that had deployed already that were, were around us. And, you know, they, they, they tried to impart as much knowledge as they could on us. But then again, it's, you got to remember, these are 22 year olds hanging out in the same area as 20 year olds. And there's, there's no parents, there's no, there's no police that are standing on the, on the deck waiting and watching for somebody to, to do something wrong. There's, you're there with a bunch of other men and, you know, you, you, you have to fend for yourself at some times. Um, but you know, we did a lot of training a lot, you know, so we got to the fleet in April and we didn't deploy until January. So we were junior Marines or boots, uh, for about nine months. And then we deployed. So we were boots for another seven months. So, I mean, it's kind of always, you are the, you're the first one to be voluntold to do something, you know, you got to go clean out the bathrooms. You got to go, you know, pick up cigarette butts out on the company area, or you've got to go get a vehicle ready or stuff like that. Um, you're always going to be the one to stand watch at night and during the training exercises. So it's a, it's a, it's very stressful, but it, it worked. Um, you know, I, I, I do remember we did a lot more training in the amphibious assault vehicles, which are the ones that can go in the water. They're kind of like a tank. But um, we did more training in those than we did in Humvees, which, you know, when we went to Iraq, we never rode in an AAV at all. We were just in Humvees, so I didn't really understand that. But, you know, it, it, you quickly settle into a routine and then um, – you go from there. And so I, I felt like we were as well-trained as we could have been for what we were going into. Um, you know, our, our battalion had been to Iraq two times before we were going. So um, we kind of already knew what to expect. We knew that it was going to be in a, in a, in a city type area. And uh, we knew what our mission was going to be and kind of how the enemy operated. Um, and then Afghanistan was a completely different monster from that. What city did y'all end up in, if you're allowed to say? Oh, um, man, in Iraq, we were in Sakhlawea. Sakhlawea is, you know, it's, it's a tiny town. I would uh, think about the size of Texas A&M, like how big the land is there. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of farmers, there's a lot of merchants and shops there, but Sacloia is, it's like a, a pit stop on the way from Ramadi to Fallujah and vice versa. So what would happen is you would have a lot of the bad guys that were in Ramadi, they would go down to Fallujah to, you know, trade some supplies and and uh, tactics with those insurgents in Fallujah and they would sometimes stop in Sacloia to you know spend the night um, kind of like at a hotel or whatnot and you know we we would be responsible for you know making sure that they weren't being able to um, have or conduct operations on 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 route to their final destination and also what dealing with um, you know kind of like a crime family in, in Sacloia. So it, it, 
you, it was two different sides to it. You had one tribe or gang, and then you'd have like the bigger overarching insurgency. Um, you know, so that was an experience and it was, it, it was definitely a really like very work heavy deployment. You know, you would go on four hours of patrols, come back for four hours off and you go back out for four more hours. You're constantly patrolling, you know, constantly standing post, uh, you know, we stood post for like a month long where it was, you had four hours of work and then you slept for four hours and you had four more hours of work and your days just kind of blended into each other. Um, you know, and then all the time you, you might have like an operation to come up that you might have to go prepare for and that might throw off the, the um, plans that, you know, we've been having for a while, the but rhythm, yeah. yeah, the rhythm gets off, but you know, once it, once you get back into that rhythm, it kind of kind of goes from there, and it's you kind of pick back up where you left off. Yeah, with that, because um, you, you mentioned Ramadi, and for literally anybody that knows about Jocko, that's that was his uh, territory. He made sure everybody knew that the seals were there, kind of thing. Um, it sounds like y'all were. You said it was like a pit stop from Fallujah to Ramadi. Um, how much? Because I I do know how intense the the fighting and combat was in Ramadi so how much of that bled over into you, you I kept wanting to say Sacagawea that's not it at all but <laughs> <laughs> that's the town you were in how much of that did y'all feel being kind of a pass-through area um we definitely had a an IED threat um I was on a convoy that got hit by an IED um just patrolling the town um more so we dealt with snipers. Um, we, that was the big fear. And a lot of the time our patrols were kind of like a, a bait and ambush kind of patrol. We'd go out and we'd sit in an area and we'd see if we get shot at. Um, you know, we'd take the vehicles out. We'd- I'm sorry, that sounds... That, <laughs> my first thought is like Steve Irwin thinking like, I'm going to go wrestle this 10-foot alligator and just see what happens. It's like, right. yeah, we're just going to go sit and wait until somebody like flings a bullet at our face. I mean, yeah, that's you're, you're waiting for them to make a move. At this point in, in Iraq and in the, in the war and terror, all the, all the brave ones are dead. Um, any, any insurgent that is still alive, um, they're smart. There's a reason why they're alive. So they're, they're waiting, they're watching you. Um, you know, we were always felt like we were being watched. Um, and then they would shoot or blow you up when you least expected it and when you got lazy. Um, so, you know, as opposed to what Jocko and them went through, that's a little bit more what we would call kinetic because it was still in the, the early, early years of the war relatively. Um, we actually had some seals come and visit us at our fob. And, you know, it was kind of funny that they, um, they came in and I was, I was being stupid little 18, 19. Uh, no, I was 20 at the time. Yeah. 20 year old. And I was being like, but, but oh, acting Navy- like an 18 year old. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> like all oh, the Navy seals are here. Oh, bunch of badasses and then um one of them kind of came into our smoking pit and i was just like oh well i better be quiet but everybody kind of laughed about it you know the navy seals are are great at what they do um you know but the infantry the especially the marine infantry we were we were more comfortable in our role of actually doing more like census patrols and you know being out in 
the population for a long period of time and getting to know the area because then once you get to know the area and you start seeing the same things over and over again, when something's different, you know, and that's when yeah. something bad's going to happen. Like, yeah. you know, that, that one time that, you know, there's nobody out on the streets or, you know, kids aren't, aren't playing in this specific area, there's something going to happen. And, you know, kids kids were kind of our indicator of a lot of things. Um, and, you know, it's, it sounds terrible now to think about it, but it's, it's war at the time. But, you know, I would have kids walk in front of our Humvee or like go stand on a pile of dirt if we thought it was going to blow up, you know, cause they're not going to hurt kids and they never did. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's just how it was. And, you know, we had to learn on the fly and, and try things. Um, and, and, you know, learn to be very flexible and, um, you know, adapt to the situation as it arose, you know, cause you can't, you can't keep taking the same route into the fob and out of the fob as, as you do every single day or there, that's when they're going to hit you. Um, yeah. you know, so you always have to kind of mix it up and, um, yeah, I mean, I think it worked well for us. We did, we were very successful there. Um, you know, the battalion I was with, the company I was with, great group of guys. I mean, they are all my heroes. I, I am so thankful that I was part of them. Um, and, you know, they just, they did their job to the best of their abilities with the least amount of resources that, um, were given to us. So, yeah. Well, you know, talking about some of those guys, what were, I mean, it could have been an event too, but what were some of the most memorable moments during your deployment? And that's, not to say it's like a positive thing. It could have been a negative yeah. event. Um, but just what are some moments that you'll never forget? Cause I know you've told me about, um, I think it was like a rocket hitting the ground right behind your truck or something. Um, oh, that was in Afghanistan. Okay. So <laughs> even bridging between, <laughs> Oh, that was the other one. Not the idea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the other one. Was but story. just between the two, I know you've been mentioning a lot about Iraq. So maybe shed some light on just, Iraq and Afghanistan, both. What were some of the, I don't want to say highlights cause that's like a positive thing, but like yeah. just what were some of the eventful uh, experiences in both of those? Um, for Iraq, you know, it was a, definitely a big experience going on a battalion operation. Uh, we went down to a little place all, uh, that another company was at called Zidon. Um, and that was like a 14 hour combat mission. And, you know, we had found a, a, an insurgent torture house, you know, they'd found houses that were rigged to explode that course, that sort of thing. But it was like a long, it was different. It was just very different from what we were doing before where, you know, we were just going on our normal four hour patrol. Um, and then in April, that's when we lost, um, we had our first killed in action for our, for our company. Uh, he was shot by a sniper at the police station, you know, as he was, cleaning up trash outside of the, the post. Um, and then like shortly there, like April was a bad month for, for our battalion. Well, for our company, especially. And, um, we had three real quick. Two, what's, what's the size difference battalion to company, which one fits inside the other uh, companies there. They're normally about five companies within a battalion. And then Got it. in Italian, you'd have about, you know, 1200 people, 13, 1400 people just depends. And, you know, within a company, you, you would have three 
three platoons and one weapons platoon and a support platoon, which is like 10 people sometimes. Um, at, full, at full strength, you know, you've got a, 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 fi- a platoon is about three, it's about three, uh, three teams of, of 13 men. Um, so you've got three of those and three platoons. You've got a weapons platoon that'll be dished out to the others. And then you have three line companies within a battalion. Um, so that's math. I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it would bunch be of people. A, Got it. Bunch of people. <laughs> bunch, of people. <laughs> bunch of people with different, different jobs and you all know what each other's doing. Kind of <laughs> got it. I, I, absolutely. So, yeah. And then, you know, in April, our company kind of took, took some heavy, uh, heavy contact with, um, suicide bombers where they put, um, um, explosives in a, in dump trucks or vehicles and they drove them into buildings or underneath our bridge. Um, that, that was a, that was a huge turning point, but after that, everything was good. And of course, you know, coming home, we stopped in Ireland and drank Guinness beer and that was kind of fun. And, you know, we had a good time coming back, but I then mean, you're in Ireland, you kind of have to, right? Yeah, we were in the airport at Ireland, so it was just us. And, you know, who doesn't love seeing about 300 other Marines drinking <laughs> excessively? And, you know, I mean, we, we some of us had not spent any money in seven months, which is amazing when you think about it. It's like yeah. you have over $20,000 sitting in your bank account, and you have the option to go to the uh, – uh, the the duty free store and you could buy gigantic bottles of whiskey and you know, you know bring them back on the plane with you and you're told <laughs> don't drink that but you know darn well you're going to drink that whiskey yeah. and pass around and, you know getting delayed on the tarmac for an hour because you got people that are drunk and being loud on the plane but it is what it is it would be a <laughs> international incident these days but yeah. you know it, those are fun. Um, that's like, that's like Jocko has mentioned a few different times how like pretty much any general group of the military, you're, you're talking about a bunch of guys usually that have been doing the same thing, being disciplined all the time. And all of a sudden you give them a few days to cut loose with more money than they know what to do with or are disciplined to use all at once, especially in a group. That's a, that's why you know they go to vegas because vegas can handle children like that you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean we we would go to vegas a couple times and i i just have no i have no desire to ever go back to vegas because it's just i mean there's nothing to do but (laughs) blow money and 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 waste time but i'm glad that we did go to vegas a couple times um it's just so different. It's just so different now, like with the friends that I have that we, we wouldn't even think to do the stuff that I did in the military. You know, just the, the crazy stuff we would happen that would happen on the weekends or, you know, six guys staying in one motel six room together, drinking and Naturally. going to the strip clubs and stuff like I'm glad I kind of got that stuff out of my system because it wasn't fun then. And it's definitely not something I look forward to or want to <laughs> partake in anymore. It's even, I mean, even from like a staying up late point, you're like, yeah, you got me till maybe nine. Okay. And then yeah, I'm, I'm out. If, I mean, if I'm playing video games, I'm going to lose track of time, but yeah. <laughs> you know, and if it's the weekend and I don't have to get up early the next day. So yeah. 
And I mean, honestly, like when you're in those deployments, like Iraq and Afghanistan, there is no time to get away. There yeah. is just work. Um, and, but it, the work is better than what you would be doing in the States. Um, like in the States, there would be times when they would be like, oh man, what are we going to do with the kids today? Oh, well, let's take them to the armory and make them clean weapons for eight hours. You know, oh, oh, that's like a teacher that didn't lesson plan something like, oh, crap, what are we going to do today? <laughs> exactly. Now, I mean, that's just probably me being the enlisted guy thinking, thinking those things. And it could have been actually on a legitimate roster. But, you know, like I remember thinking, oh, man, we're going to PT. We're going to work out really hard in the infantry. Man, the, the hardest workouts we ever did were going and playing football against our, our, uh, our senior seniors the guys that deployed because those motherfuckers would you know they would tackle people they would just run each other over <laughs> and you could, they had ptsd and we were like oh man we are not getting though i don't want the ball i don't want it i don't want to be <laughs> don't give me the ball <laughs> oh, don't there's <laughs> it's not tag it's tackle and it was fun but man it was scary i mean i could run yeah. a lot better after playing football with those goons yeah, because you're trying to play run away from those guys. Absolutely. No, um, man. So when when you were in Afghanistan, um, I, I mentioned the the rocket going off. Um, walk us through what was what was that experience like, and um, if it if it ties in at all. I know you're working on a book. Uh, would love to know kind of what maybe it was just a sense of like processing what what all happened that motivated you to write it. But what does that book entail? the reason I tie that together is because I, you may talk about that experience in the book, right. um, but would want to know kind of what happened with that. Uh, and I know that you've lost some friends, which is where your son's names came from. Um, yeah. If you feel like sharing about that, I'd love to hear it, but uh, by no means are you being forced to, to share. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So when we were in Afghanistan, we had, there was an instance where they dropped a, a, a jet, a fighter jet dropped a bomb on a target and it didn't go off. So we had to go down as a, as a, as a platoon plus um, with attachments. And then um, some of the Brits that were there, they drove us down there as well to go destroy that ordinance so that the Taliban couldn't use it. Um, and then one of our, our vehicle got stuck um in the mud and we were the big seven ton vehicle so it's the biggest biggest piece of machinery out there and you know you'd need another seven ton to pull it out but they tried with a with the um biggest the second biggest vehicles we had out there the mraps so they brought those around and then they were trying to attach the tow cables to it there's a lot of people standing around um and then i was supposed to get out and go help the the mortar men and provide security from the back of the seventh time. And that's when we got uh, attacked with rockets. Um, I think they were RPGs. They might've been recoilless rockets, but they were either way, they were aiming at the vehicles that were stuck in the ground and the people that were standing around. Um, so when I was right next to the ladder to get down into, to, to get down onto the, the desert, ground an rpg hit and it kind of just like browned everything out i kind of you know fell against the uh the side of the inside crew cabin so it's just metal plating and messed up my jaw pretty bad um 
you know, wounded three other guys. And then we, we got up and we still had to fight. And so that was, that was kind of like our baptism by fire. Cause that was the first time that, you know, we saw enemy enemy was attacking us and that, uh, you know, I saw people getting injured. Um, you know, so that was, that was very, that was a, an interesting time. I, I, it was what I joined the Marine Corps to do was to fight. So that was, that was cool. Um, but leading into, you know, the book, um, the book is not just about me. Um, I'm not having anybody's name in the book. Um, it's just written by me. And what it is, is it's to show what, you know, we went through. Because uh, a lot of people don't realize that that deployment that I was on, you know, we were the first Marines to actually be in that area for an extended period of time. And we had absolutely no resources. You know, we didn't have our own helicopters. We, we were relying on the British for a lot of stuff. You know, I didn't even have a shower until I, um, you know, until I traded a, one of those Leatherman multi-tools for a shower, a bag shower that you had to leave out in the sun to, to hopefully warm up or hopefully nobody stole it from you and use it at night. You know, um, we were brushing our teeth with water bottles. You know, we would have to shave, poking a hole in the cap of a water bottle, spraying our razor off and shave. And then, you know, that kind of thing. It was very primitive. Um, and I think a lot of people, uh, they have a romantic view of what combat is like, and it's, it's really not. Um, and, and that's, I'm not trying to knock any of the, of the current authors out there who've written about those two wars or any war, but, you know, when they mention somebody dies, they just kind of say so-and-so died in the IED attack or they were shot in the head or something like that. And, and they leave it at that. They don't realize, and they don't, articulate well that those wounds are continuing to be in our heads. Um, we were constantly driving around with them, um, you know, and that leads into the counseling issue where like, I think everybody does need to have counseling because it's okay to express these feelings. Um, you know, so my book is more about what the company that I was with and, and, and in some extents, the battalion that I was with, um, what we went through. And it's not just my story. It's, it's, it's not about me. It's about what the people that I kind of became a man with, what they went through and what they saw. And it's, and it, at times it's graphic. It's going to be um, as graphic as I could make it to where I want somebody to come away from that book and be like, damn, now, now whenever somebody's talking about veterans with PTSD, I kind of get a, I kind of get what they're saying. Um, you know, it's, it's not just going to be, oh, so-and-so was killed on IED. It's, it's going to go into details and it may make people uncomfortable. And I think that that's okay because at the end of the day, I, I hope that it brings about conversations and it, and it helps people come together. Um, and, and I don't want people to sit there and be afraid to ask veterans, like, what was combat like? What was it like being 18 in, in a war? I mean, even, even you and, and I have talked about this before when we were in college. It's like people are like, oh, what's it like to kill somebody? You always thought somebody would ask it. 
And then you get asked by a 12 year old and you're like, Oh, you shouldn't be saying that. Like I would never, I would never shy away from those questions because if somebody has an interest in it, you have a duty to answer their question. Um, And because if you don't answer it, they're going to form their own opinions. Yep. Um, And and I think there's, there's even something to be said about like, if you have a hesitancy to answer a question because it brings back bad memories, I, I almost think that like, I hope I can say this in a, in an understandable way, but I feel like that's why you should answer the question so that they know why that's an awkward thing to ask. Like, yeah, in some ways it's almost cathartic to have, you know, be in a classroom and somebody asks you, you know, what is it like to see somebody die? And for you to talk to them about it, that's a stranger that you're probably never going to see again. And you're telling them something that is that deeply, affects you and they're not going to judge you. You think they are, but they're not They're Exactly. They're, they're just, they want to know. Um, you know, it's the same thing with like world war two veterans or the Holocaust veterans. Um, you know, what was it like being in the Holocaust? Well, dude, if, if you were in the Holocaust, why would you ever want to retouch on those horrors? But they do because it helps them deal with, things and they're also helping other people learn about what what war what violence what man is capable of because if we're if we're more knowledgeable about that we're less likely to repeat that stuff yeah um, i hope that's what happened yeah um i think that a, a phrase that captures that really well is something i've heard again on the Jocko podcast, of course. Um, Somebody's not trying to get on Jocko. Yeah, right. Um, no, but uh, the phrase that he says is, you have to understand the darkness in order to appreciate the light. Yep. And and I think that um, that's a, a great comparison because to, to put it bluntly, if nobody ever talked about the Holocaust, World War II, literally, if you just assume that no one ever talked about their war experience, then no one would have an idea of why it's bad or why like things happen the way they did kind of thing. Yeah. And to spin it a different way, you know, think about Star Wars. If Luke Skywalker didn't go into that dark cave to face his biggest fear, would he have become the great Jedi that he was until, you know, Disney decided to ruin it in the second (laughs) last last Jedi or whatever it was. This is the second podcast episode where somebody has critiqued the choices within the star Wars, like saga in general. The last one was with the Leander police chief. He talked about how much he hates Jar Jar Binks and how it was a mistake to tell his police department that he hates Jar Jar Binks because then everybody started getting him only Jar Jar Binks stuff. Right. And yeah. I was like, you know, you should have picked your favorite character and be like, man, I, I, you know, I hate Yoda, you know, and then next thing you know, you're getting all this Yoda or baby Yoda now is like the big thing. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's a good point. Uh, I, once upon a time, uh, I won't, I don't ever want to dishonor, honor somebody. So I won't mention the name, but I, I dated somebody who tended to shy away from, uh, stressful or like rough experiences. Yeah. Um, I know you know this person, so, but I'll just refrain. Um, but yeah. I never, I never understood that because I, 
while I feel like, yeah, life can get pretty uncomfortable pretty fast, I feel like with every negative experience, depending on your perspective, there's always something to learn, bigger or smaller, maybe different, but there's always something to learn and there's always room to grow through that experience. Absolutely. So, and I just think that's a perspective thing. I think life is about what your perspective is going to be. I mean, if you want to focus on the negative, then guess what? You're only going to see the negative. Um, Absolutely. I mean, and I mean, there is also another side of that sword where, you know, I was afraid to talk about that kind of stuff when I got out and I was in college because, you know, I knew that there was always somebody else who had gone through more and that it wasn't okay for me to complain about that. And I still kind of think about that as well. It's not okay for me to feel sorry for myself or to complain or ask people to feel sorry for me when I didn't go through what so-and-so did. But, you know, we're, we're all in this huge human experiment together and we have to learn from each other. You know, that's, that's, that's huge learning from each other. And then, um, you know, sharing, sharing ideas because at the end of the day, man, you know, when we're dead, this thing is still going to have the ability for some kid to look up what, what we were talking about in 2020, you know? And, and so we we're going to help somebody learn what other people were thinking, what veterans were going through, um, who Jocko Willink was, um, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. You know, I, I think that's important to keep in perspective is that everybody has a story to tell. Um, it's just their decision, what chapter they're going to flip to when they meet you. Yeah. And I, I was actually thinking about, um, Cause I'm, I'm toying with the idea of going back to teaching and I was just thinking like, well, I want to keep up the podcast. I, I think this has been great. I've had amazing conversations and I was just thinking if, if a kid asked me, it's kind of like the, the arguments that you have with someone else in the shower, you know, like you like play out an argument and you win every time and then it never happens in real life kind of thing. But yeah. I was, I was thinking through like, if a kid said, wow, Mr. Brown, you know, some really cool people, my response would be, no, we're all cool people. We just don't take the time to talk to each other. Right. Like everybody has a story to share. Everybody has something they're going through, something they've been through, something that shaped who they are, but we don't really have a setting in which it's like encouraged to talk about that. Um, I would say probably a year or two ago, whenever I would hang out with somebody like intentionally for the first time, like a, a good guy friend or something. We just go, Hey, you want to go get coffee? You want to go get a drink? Like, let's, let's just get to know each other. Um, I would just ask, what's your story. And I remember that one of my friends was kind of like, what's my, well, like, I mean, I feel like you know me, but now that I'm thinking about it, you don't really know me, you know, and relationships tend to start wherever you met that person and you never like go backwards and figure out like in a good way. I know this is like a parks and rec quote, but why are you the way you are? Like, really let's figure out what, what made Travis Kaiser who he is, you know? (laughs) Um, Cause I, I feel like that, that helps to understand your friends around you a little bit more, even family yeah. members asking your, your parents that question, like, what's your story? It may be awkward, but you'll probably find out a lot of stuff you didn't know previously. And 
people like talking about themselves. They yeah. Really you mentioned earlier, like you, you're afraid to like ask a question because like sometimes people don't want to either offend or like you, you're afraid to make somebody relive, but you got to remember people have the ability to tell you, I don't want to answer that. Right. So yeah. just ask a question because like you said, people love to talk about themselves. So if, if something's happening and you're like, Hey, how did that affect you? Leave it open-ended, not just a, a yes or no question. Was that tough? Yes. You know, that sort of thing. But how did that affect you? That's kind of like some of the questions that I've asked here. Um, I want to know more of the story. I, I don't just want to know like, a, yeah, that sucked or whatever. I want to know right. more. So be, be bold and ask people questions. Um, I would love to know because you, you've talked about the, the perspective that you've had because of your military experience. Um, and you've also talked about how even your daughter, Quinn, when she's 18, you're going to be an old fart older than you are now. Uh, so if you died today or tomorrow, what do you hope people say about you when you're gone? Uh, that I just love life. I mean, and, and I try to live every day like it is my last. Yeah, some days I'm lazy. Some days I'm, I have fun. But I, I just really enjoyed uh, the people I met and, uh, I love my, my family, um, you know, especially Quinn and, and baby Wesley, you know, I, I just want them to know that I love them. And, um, you know, like I said, I enjoyed life and, and I had a lot of fun. <laughs> I like that. I, I can say, um, and I, I feel comfortable saying this, here on the podcast, but it, even though the video is not going to be here for people, this is just for us. Uh, you look a lot like more relaxed than I think the last time I saw you and I, which is yeah. weird. Cause now you're like a parent of a little three-year-old. <laughs> you should not look relaxed, you know, but I feel like the, just the being a parent of a daughter, especially has softened you up and you've, you've been smiling, smiling a lot more than I recall uh, other yeah. times in your life. So it, for what that's worth, uh, it looks like life is treating you well and you really are trying to enjoy life. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, and with, with that being said, man, it's like who I was as a, as a college guy is very different from who I am now. I mean, it's, and you are the same as, uh, and you're, you're not, you're in the same boat as me. Like you are completely different from what you were yesterday as well as what you were two years ago, four years ago, five years, you know, and, and every day is a chance for you to change into who the person you want to become. Um, right. I just want to be known as a good guy and I want people to be like, and that guy was fun to hang out with or, you know, you know, I like talking to him. That's all I can hope for. I mean, other than that, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be as crazy as I was back when I worked at the bar, you know, and doing pickle shots for you. <laughs> you know, I'm, we didn't need to bring that up. <laughs> I, I yeah. do remember one time somebody, uh, I think this was like, cause you, you would, I think you said one time, like you were trading off, like being a bouncer or something just to have a little bit more fun, I think is what you told me. Um, <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, Travis, is he's going to get bored too fast behind that bar. Uh, but I remember one time someone was like trying to pick a fight literally right behind me. And you jumped over the bar onto this guy's back and started hitting him in the head until he stopped what he was doing. And y'all escorted him out. I was like, 
Okay, now I know. Don't don't get on Travis's bad side. Like clearly, <laughs> this is not the way we. Like there was there was a switch flipped in your mind, and I was like, this is why Marines are known as the crazy guys because like you just went from like chilling, talking, and all of a sudden, it's like a like a bird dog when it focuses in. All of a sudden, you're just talking to over the bar you went. You just gone, and I was like, well, yep. I guess we'll see him in like twenty minutes. Yeah, which, which bad news for that guy because there was three Marines three or four Marines working at that bar, you know, at the same time. So we all were like, when we saw one of us getting in trouble, I was about to say <laughs> all three of us would jump on people. Like, you know, I mean, we did a lot of rough and stuff and tough stuff like roadhouse kind of thing. But, uh, you know, it was fun. I, I really enjoyed it and I wouldn't trade any of those experiences, but I definitely would say that Quinn is, God's God's sick sense of humor of getting back at me for all that craziness <laughs> of of my college years and Marine Corps years. But he's saying you, you need know, to calm down they, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They. I mean, I can tell you what. She ain't going to get away with nothing. She, I, yeah. I know everything there is to know. What, um, what's tough for me being a dad of two girls is knowing that like they have my blood in them, and so I need to be on my toes because I'm used to like me what a guy version of me is capable of and I was yeah. like this is gonna look different with two girls now this they still probably got that mischievous streak in them that they're smart enough to get away with stuff so I'm yeah. gonna have to be a few steps ahead as much as I, as possible but it's gonna look different than if it, I had a, a son you know so that's why I told Elizabeth I was like we're, we're gonna just speak that to God's ears right now we're getting a son you know that kind of thing oh but yeah I know now that you've you've kind of transitioned up to coaching and everything what i mean like what made you even want to be a, a teacher and a coach and now you're just coaching what is life kind of looking like for you now how did you end up here um you know i i really felt drawn to the marines for helping other people it's a, it's a selfless service and, and and teaching was kind of that along that same path as well so that's why i got into teaching and then coaching it's like okay here's a hobby, here's a sport that I enjoyed. Um, and, and I get to teach other people how to get better at it. And that's what it really comes down to. Even at the college level, it's just every day is an opportunity to make somebody better. Um, and if they don't take that opportunity, that's a learning experience. Um, and it, it keeps me mentally engaged with my work. Um, because, you know, like, just like with teaching, every day is not the same day. You, you could plan it out. You could have world-class, you could have world-class lesson plans, whatever those are. And you could have great. <laughs> I've never seen one, but uh, I know they exist. <laughs> you can have, you know, the, the top 10 kids in the United States in your classroom. And it's still not going to be what you expected it to be. And the same thing is with swimming. I can, I can give a kid uh, a workout that, you know, Eddie Reese, who's won nat so many national titles for Texas swimming, you know, gives his guys. But it takes the relationship between the coach and the athlete to make that set or make any set or workout effective. Um, and, and there's so many different ways to do this. Um, it's like the, the phrase – there's so many ways to skin a cat is very true when it comes to teaching and coaching. And I think that they're one of the same coaching and teaching are the same. Um, 
Well, I, I think there's as many ways as there are people, right? Because everybody's personality is different. Everybody's background is different. So, yeah. you know, us teaching history to somebody, one thing is going to stick for one kid based on his background, whatever. And then for another student, it's like, well, what's going to stick in her mind based on her background, her experience, exactly. that sort of thing. And how they learn, their learning styles. That was always a, a kicker for me. It's like, I got to kind of plan three different lesson plans, one for the visual learners, one for the kinetic learners, and one for the the listeners, which those yep. are few and far between. But And I mean, I'm still dealing with that too. Like I have to, I can tell a kid a workout and they can look look at me right in the face and they 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 get it. And then there are some that they're looking at me right in the face and then I see them blink and that they forget everything I said. They're gone. They have, <laughs> you know, they need to have it printed out and that's okay. Cause that's kind of how I am too. Um, you know, and, and that's all I'm doing now is just coaching. And I, I love it. I, I got a great opportunity. This, uh, Mike Blum, who's the head coach here really, you know, took a risk and brought me on. Um, and, and I really am appreciative of every day I get to work with these athletes and, and, and right now in COVID it's tough, you know, I mean, we're, we're dealing with the same things that everybody's dealing with, uh, social distancing. How many people can we have in the water? What happens when they get out of the water? Are they allowed to go to the bathrooms and stuff like that? You know, so it's, a uh, every day is, is very different from the day before, but, um, you know, by April, you know, according to the president, we're all going to have vaccines. So, I mean, that's something positive, but like I said, um, it's also a time to really work on character. And I think that's something that every coach, every teacher can really focus on. And at the end of the day, you know, this from teaching, it doesn't matter what they do on their tests. It what matters at the final um, grade input and you as a teacher can change that. Um, yeah. And I think that's what, it, what comes down to swimming as well as like it, it does not matter how few yards, um, few hours we spend in the pool. It's what the relationship is like and how we feel at the end of this race. Um, you know, but like I said, you know, Stanford University, they're going to the same things we are. If one of their kids gets COVID, they're going to have to go through the same protocols that we are. Um, you know, um, when it comes to recruiting kids, you know, the University of Virginia can't have kids spend the night and pay for their plane tickets and neither can we. So, I mean, it, it kind of makes a level, level playing field, but you know, one thing is, is that a lot of these kids are figuring out that they've got to use their brain a little bit more. They can't just do the same thing and expect the same results as last year. Um, I think even fundamentally, especially in an athletic sense, if you, you and I both know this, um, me from the personal training end of things and you just, your experience, um, which by the way, I was telling somebody about our quote log toss drill that we used to do across the basketball court with the medicine balls. Yeah. That, that was a fun one. I'm starting to get back there. I've been doing kickboxing as a, as workouts, um, lately, but Ooh, anyway, it's, it's wearing me out. I, I want to, my, my, I'm about to lose my train of thought. Uh, the, and then I'll come back to that. But the uh, idea of, you know, if you do, you said do the same thing as you did last year, your body wants homeostasis. So if you do the same things over and over, you in essence will stop growing 
um, in strength. Like if you're trying to put on muscle and you keep doing the exact same exercises, you'll plateau. If you keep using the same weight, you'll plateau. Um, if you're, if you're using like endurance training, but you keep doing the same exact thing every time you're going to plateau. So in the same way, your, your mind works the same way. Got to have new challenges, got to keep trying to improve in new different ways. Otherwise you will plateau. And that, that goes for athletes. That goes for human beings in general. Um, and to, you know, segue back to the question, you know, how's the nine round kickboxing going? I, we switched to that because I have been doing weightlifting and hit training, uh, or hit workouts. Cause that's re- redundant if I say hit training. Um, but I was doing hit workouts for years at gold's gym and so i was like you know i'm i'm starting to get to that age where i'm actually concerned about my heart health both sides of my family have have had heart attacks uh three out of four of my grandparents had heart attacks one of them died from heart attack and so i really need to focus on cardio to make sure my heart is good to go um and the only reason i'm worried about body fat percentage is because that directly correlates to you know your vascular health uh, with cholesterol and stuff like that. And so I need to do something that's a little bit more cardio intensive. And, um, when I got COVID, I had to take a break from that. And one of the like lasting side effects of that is fatigue. You, you get worn out super fast. Um, I, I remember a few weeks after I got the, you know, negative test result and all that, I was playing guitar and singing for maybe like eight minutes and I was so out of breath, you would have thought I like ran around my block while playing guitar. That's how like out of breath I was. And so I had to build that back up on top of just flat out being out of shape as far as cardio is concerned. So wow. um, I love it and it's fun. It's fun to literally kick and punch the crap out of something. Um, you got to make sure you punch right. Otherwise, you come home with hand injuries like I have. Uh, but it's it's a lot of fun and I'm, I'm enjoying building up to – you know, the endurance I used to have where I'd play racquetball for hours, work out, run, go play racquetball again. And that was also when I had no family and no other responsibilities. Oh yeah. It's, it, it sucks getting old. Got to find time, find ways to squeeze it in and, and still get my call of duty zombies going. There you go. <laughs> well, Travis, I, I've really appreciated your time. I know we're, we're right up against it here. Would love to end the same way we, I do with every episode. Just some encouragement. I know that you as a veteran uh, have a unique experience to compared to like the civilians of us that are all out here, but would love to know what encouragement would you give to fellow veterans uh, or even currently in, enlisted military members? Um, just, just talk to somebody, you know, just, just talk. And then on the other side of that is listen, you know, listen more than you talk. What'd you uh, say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and if you need help and if you don't let things boil up, because I mean, I wanted to kind of mention that earlier when, when you're talking about when your wife said, when you told your wife you had to get out of the house, it's like, as, as men, we, we do that. We, we, we bottle that up. We bottle up our emotions because we don't want to deal with the conflict right then and there. We want to, we, we don't see it as a big deal, but then it builds up and then it adds another layer. Um, don't let it get to that point. Just be willing to talk when something bothers you as soon as it bothers you, because that's, that's a real easy way to, to grow. And then if you, if somebody's doing something that bothers you, and you tell them, hey, that bothers me right off the bat, 
they're going to stop not two months down the line when it's all bubbled up and like, yeah, did you tell me earlier? So yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, to echo that, the idea of not letting it bottle up, that's where venting comes into play, which yeah. is, which is what you were talking about earlier. Where I don't, I don't need a solution right now. I just need to let this out. I need to let some pressure out so that I don't pop when I don't need to pop, you know, like let some pressure out so you can think clearly. Yeah. And, and I've got a few friends. Uh, one even is my brother, but got a few friends that I'm like, you're my venting buddy. Like if I need to vent, I don't need input. I just need to let this out at you who has, you have nothing to do with any of this. So you're not going to take offense to it. And I can be as unfiltered as I need to be just to let it all out so that then I can go make a more mature decision. And I think that it's kind of like what you're saying. Don't let it bottle up. Don't wait freaking three months to bring something up, you know, about, yeah, you chose to go to this restaurant. I did not want to go to that restaurant. Okay. You didn't tell me like, why didn't you just say something? (laughs) All right, man. What, what, how can people connect with you? I know uh, you're probably still trying to figure out the social medias. I'm just kidding. Got to get that follower account up, you know? Yeah. My, MySpace <laughs> is still uh, <laughs> racking up the followers and the, and stuff. I mean, if people want to get in touch with me, they can, they can always find me on the, the Facebooks and the Instagrams and, and stuff like that. I have, I have a pizza Instagram account that, that it's I'm just sorry? me eating pizza. I just you pizza eating pizza, now. like you do like rankings or something? Uh, kind of. I mean, I, I've been kind of off bit because of COVID. I haven't been able to, and the child, I haven't been able to go and out and eat pizza a lot. But normally anytime I order pizza, I take a picture of it and put it on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> What's the Instagram handle for that? Travis pizza eats pizza? Kaiser. Pizza Kaiser. Yeah, uh, Kaiser with a Z instead of an S. But you know, if, if people want to find me on on the Instagram, it's just it's Travis at Travis K zero one seven. I think I don't know. It's just Travis Kaiser. Search that, and then it's me. This guy, his face. Yeah, but pro- I, I appreciate more when you have just the mustache. You know, it's like oh, that's coming. It's, <laughs> it's November, man. Uh, Movember, yeah. I need Whatever. to. I need to tell Lofton he needs to trim back down to the mustache for Movember. Yeah, <laughs> he, he grew out his uh, like a goatee, and I said, "You do realize like nobody's gonna recognize you now, right?" <laughs> he said, "That's the point." Yeah, that's good. That's a good. That's probably a good thing for him. He's- yeah, exactly. Incognito, just put yeah. some facial hair. Well, Travis, I really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story and encouraging, frankly, other people to do so. Um, I know that you're, you're, everybody has a unique experience because there's not another you, right? So you sharing your unique experience and encouraging other people to do the same uh, is very powerful and I think will affect a lot more people than uh, either you or I realize. So I appreciate it. Thank you much, much man. Yeah, I appreciate you doing the you doing this, buddy. It's good yes, catching up with you. Stop being a stranger. <laughs> stranger danger. I'll, I'll try. I'll try to remedy that, even if it's over video games. We'll we'll make that happen. Prima Nocto over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not not going to explain that story or inside joke. Not on yeah. this podcast. <laughs> All right, man. All right, hey, take care, brother. Good talking to you. All right. Yep. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been the Micah Brown Podcast. Uh, This episode was with Travis Kaiser. 
Travis, actually, we didn't even mention this on the episode, but uh, Travis was one of my groomsmen. And so uh, that's part of where the prima nocta joke came from. Uh, it's uh, if you know what that is, you're probably like, I don't what even. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a joke that you probably have just gone unsaid. Anyway, uh, I really appreciate him as a friend. He has a, a great backstory. If you find pictures of him, he does kind of look like a very serious person. But as you can tell, he's a very honest, uh, sincere guy, has a great sense of humor, uh, sometimes a little twisted military sense of humor. But either way, he's a, a great guy to know. If you are a current or former military member and uh, you just want to vent, get something off your chest, uh, talk to somebody, Travis is a great guy to do that with. Uh, especially if you're a Marine, former Marine, he's been right there with you. Uh, once a Marine, always a Marine. And so I encourage you to definitely reach out to him. Uh, I'm very interested in this pizza Instagram that is at pizza Kaiser. That's with a Z not S his name is Travis Kaiser K I S E R. Uh, so if you go searching for him, that's what you would definitely look up, but I'm interested in this pizza instagram God. knowing him it's probably been a good time he he's been rocking a handlebar mustache lately anyway uh definitely reach out to him through instagram or facebook either way you can get in touch with him uh if you enjoyed this episode if you enjoyed this conversation by all means support the podcast by subscribing you can go to facebook and and like and follow uh the page micah brown podcast you can also find me on Instagram by searching at actual MBP. Same thing on Twitter, same handle at actual MBP. Uh, I would love for you guys to join in on the conversation, give some feedback, leave a, a rating on whichever platform you're listening from right now. Make sure that people get the, the word out and hear about this podcast because I do believe in having the most authentic conversations uh, that are possible. If you have authentic conversations, you have authentic relationships. That's all I got for you. You guys take care.